Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Yes, hello, audience. That's right. Greetings, greetings, everyone. This is the Melanology Hour, and you are listening to the Melanology Show, your host. I'm Dr. Jewel and co-host Dr. T. Owens Moore, and we are here again this week talking about that fabulous, universal, ubiquitous, life-promoting, life-sustaining molecule, melanin. And as you know, last week we had a wonderful discussion on uh, the properties of melanin and its uh, relationship to many things. And this week we're going to talk about something very interesting in regards to the melanosome and its cell brain, cell membrane capacity as well as recent research. But it's something I would like for Dr. Moore to uh, contribute on because as we continue to, to walk through the brain and to walk through the body demonstrating that all humans are melanin-dependent, it's important to recognize how all the systems of the body require the presence of melanin to function harmonically, correctly, as well as electromagnetically, as well as metabolically. So we need melanin throughout the body, which it is present, regardless of how much is in the skin. That is why we say on the Melanology Show that all humanity is dependent upon melanin. We are all melanin-dependent. So, Dr. Moore, I'm glad you had a fabulous weekend. Thank you. Fabulous week. And, of course, as our daytime scientists, we want to talk to you about a few things today. And I thought it was very interesting. We didn't get a chance to pick your brain about all of the information that you have on the vestibular system and melanin. And so what we're talking about, everyone, is the ear, especially the inner ear, and how important the role of melanin is in our capacity to hear and also our capacity to really be able to stay orientated to time and to space and um, direction. Is that correct? Yes, it is. And uh, I guess you mentioned that word vestibular. A lot of the audience may not know what that means. Mm-hmm. But vestibular, V-E-S-T-I-B-U-L-A-R, relates to equilibrium. Correct. So right. balance. Yep. So, yes, our ear has both mechanisms. The ear can help us out with hearing and also can help us out with our balance or, our, as you just said, our vestibular mechanisms. That's why that, that that nerve that actually is in the ear for hearing is called the vestibulocochlear nerve. It's cranial nerve 8, actually. Right. So the vestibular okay. part for the imbalance and the cochlear part for the hearing. And where does melanin that? sit in there? Uh-huh, right. Well, where does melanin sit in there? Because cochlear really is Latin for a shell. Right. Well, uh I guess since we're breaking it down for the audience and for our world that may not be as, I guess, deeply entrenched in the science like we may be, the ear is broken down to like the middle, well, the outer ear, 
middle ear and the inner ear. So the outer ear is that part that sticks on the side of our head that we can kind of flip-flop and, you know, in animals it moves to kind of localize sound. For us, it doesn't necessarily move, but it's shaped in a way where it can kind of funnel sound into our ear. Now, you know some people still have muscles that they can wiggle their ear. Well, you know what? I ask my students to do that, but I can't do that. (laughs) Right. Some people still can do that, just like the puppies. Yeah, they can. Well, I don't have bad ears. I can't do that. But that outside part of the ear, you know, if you even look at it metaphysically, it looks like an upside-down fetus. Right. They call it the helix. Yeah, the helix. Uh-huh. And in, in acupuncture, a lot of, uh, you know, uh, non-Western scientists use the ear as a sign of what certain body parts are going through. You know, so the ear, even though for us it doesn't serve the exact same purpose as it does in the lower animals to kind of help move and localize down, the outer ear is one component of hearing. Then you move to the middle ear. As you go deeper in the ear, when the eardrum shakes and vibrates, the drum is like a membrane in the ear, and it talks to some bones. And the bones in the ear are called the middle ear bones. They're actually the smallest bones in the body. So if they're the smallest bones in the body, they're also the smallest muscles in the body. So now we're done with the complexity of hearing we haven't got to the place where we just talked about the nerve. We haven't got to the brain. We haven't got anywhere yet. We're still on the out and middle ear of okay. can, our... Can you tell them something? I think it's so humorous that um, the uh, how those three bones in the uh, middle ear look. Amazing. Yeah. Well, the technical name for, for them are the malleus, incus, and the stapes. So the common name then would be the hammer, anvil, and the stirrup. So the shapes of them look like a hammer for the malleus. Uh, anvil, like what you bang on to make some a sword or something. Uh, that's called the anvil. And then you have the stapes. looks like a stirrup, like when you ride on a horse, put your foot in. So the shape of the bones look like the names of what they've been given. So those bones help to kind of resonate, help to stop the strong vibration of the sound as it's coming in through your ear. Again, that's all middle ear. Now we get to the inner ear, and that's the part that contains the cochlea, and that's the part where the receptors are located for actually hearing. And then that's where we get into the presence and place where we would find melanin. Now, would you like me to go on further right there, or would you have some comments about where we're getting ready to go? Well, um... You can say keep it rolling, yeah, well, no, no. Come, you know, okay. Come back here. It's, it's, I think it's very interesting, though, uh, again, um, because the Jewel Network is devoted to everybody becoming a scientist, developing the mind of a scientist, because they have a fabulous scientific laboratory that they dwell within known as the body. And so whenever we can slip more information in, we want to do that. And I think that it's incredible to recognize that these three bones look like a, a real hammer. It, they actually look like an anvil, the steel platform that you, you know, reform hot steel upon. And it looks like the stirrup on a saddle, the stirrups that hang from a saddle. And what's so interesting is that they are sustained in water or fluid medium all of the time to modulate vibrations of light known as sound. 
Now, Dr. Moore, I think it's very interesting, and, you know, you're the uh, neuroanatomist, and so this is part of the domain that you've really looked at very closely. Just for speculation, here we go, nighttime science. Yes. What would be the purpose or the modulatory capacity of having a solid structure like bone floating in water to be shaped like a hammer? to be shaped like an anvil, and to be shaped like a sterile. I mean, that geometry is just so bizarre to be in water to allow a person to be able to hear ranges and frequencies of sound. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah, and uh, it's acting, again, like I said, a a dampening system because if someone put a a gun right by your ear and shot the gun and tried to blow your eardrum out, well, those bones help to kind of, resonate help to slow that intensity down so it doesn't damage the ear, although it's probably going to be damaged from something intense happening. So the shape of the bones are more than likely constructed to do all all it can to inhibit dangerous vibrations from destroying the mechanisms in the ear that are very critical for hearing, which we haven't talked about yet. Right. Well, you know, I'll assign myself that homework. Because I think that geometry is very important. It's significant, and we've kind of, like, really ignored what that formation of light in space and time that we would talk about the shape of a hammer, an anvil, and a stirrup, what then does it really do? Because I'm perceiving that mathematically and uh, mathematically as well as, as a modulator of light, that this is doing something very interesting with those frequencies of light that we call sound. But, you know, to move forward, though, because I want to know how melanin in the inner ear is responsible for hearing. Okay. Well, I never really contemplated the structure of the bones and why they were structured like that. But as we do move further into the inner ear, the structure of the cochlea, as you already said, is like shell-shaped, like snail-shaped, like snail-shaped. So the cochlea has a like a spiral shell deep within our the bony structure of our cranium that contains the receptors that are very important for us to hear. So if anybody is out there and they can visualize what a snail looks like and see it wrapped up having that circular kind of shape, in that circular shape is a hollow shell. In that hollow shell is fluid. In that fluid sits a membrane. And technically speaking, the membrane is called the basilar membrane. Guess what? On that membrane, sitting in that shell, are some hair cells. So hair cells stick up out of the membrane, and they are also floating in fluid. So around this area in the inner ear is where you find the melanin. So the melanin is there to assist with the frequency distribution. So that means we have to break down how it is that we're hearing in the first place. The stimulus for hearing is vibrations, sound waves. So the sound waves go through the outer ear, hit the middle ear, the bones resonate. The bones then shake the fluid inside that snail or that cochlea. And as the fluid in the cochlea shakes, the hair cells move. So it could be a slight vibration. I don't want to whisper on the radio because people will be strained like, what did he say? But that's the point. You can talk really, really, really light or really, really loud. Those hair cells are going to respond to that amplitude or that frequency of sound. 
Well, melanin plays a role to assist in distributing that sound in a way that maybe some people can and some people can't hear. Because there's a there's pathophysiology to melanin, meaning that some people who have disturbance in the melanin production may have problems with their hearing, like albinos may have problems with hearing. People who take drugs and they then have optotoxic effects. When we say opto, we mean O-T-O, things dealing with the ear. If they take some drugs and they have some reactions, the inner ear melanin may be absorbing those drugs and now causing optotoxic effects and they have problems with the hearing. So we're dealing with a very important role for it to play there in the ear to give different perceptions on how people hear things. They really then get into the whole reality of music and what we create as, a, I guess, a darkly melanated people with this old music. You start to understand deep within the ear is the place where those those frequencies of sound are being absorbed. And we know that's what melanin does. That what? Absorbs light. Absorbs frequencies. Absorbs vibrations. Takes it in. So as it takes it in, it's giving people a different perspective, like maybe the blue notes. People used to talk about with John Coltrane, you know, hitting notes that, where did that come from? People never heard that before. The blues. Where the blues come from with us, you know? So rhythm and blues then go hand in hand. And as you mentioned earlier about the vestibular uh, functions, on that snail, on that cochlea, on that hollow shell we just said exists within your ear, right. there's three canals, three semicircular canals, like three little uh, loops, like earrings sitting on the top of that snail. Those are called the semicircular canals. Right. And those semicircular canals help us out with, uh, like, Angular velocity, angular acceleration. They help us stay in balance. So people who have uh, diseases like vertigo or problems like vertigo, the uh, same hair cells we're saying that are that are in the inner ear for hearing. You also have some like hair cells or cilia that are important for you being in balance. And any disruption in those hair cells can what alter a person's balance. Right now. Oh, okay. Our station break. So before we go into talking about uh, what hairs really are, I want to let everyone know out there, and hi, everybody around the world. We're so appreciative that you are tuning in for us this evening. For you, it might be in the morning to the Jewel Network. We're hosted by Blog Talk Radio, and you are listening to the Melanology Show, hosted by Dr. Jewel and co-hosted by... Dr. T. Owens Moore. So we've been talking about melanin and its interaction in the brain at the level of the eighth cranial nerve relative to a very important sensory capacity that we have known as hearing. And Dr. Moore has explained to us all of these wonderful marvels about how we have three levels to the ear, outer, middle, and inner, and where we can then really appreciate the um, melanated aspect of the inner ear, which is in the inner ear and what it does. Now, Dr. Moore, you were saying that these uh, cilli that are in the uh, inner ear, I read some information where they uh, said that the uh, cilia, the little hairs in the inner ear, they were responsible for 
first of all, making sure that debris continuously moved, you know, through the canals to the outer canal where then it collects in the lower part of the um, anti-helix down there because you have the helical and then anti-helical part of the ear, and then that's when we wash our ears out, et cetera. But also, too, what we're finding that um, Latin for hair is teleo, Telio, which means to transmit, and that these hairs not only just keep this wave pattern of keeping air moving uh, across the cells, but they also are acting like minute telephone wires, and that they are also allowing the uh, sound frequencies of light to be directly uh, transmitted from and through the air, through the hairs, directly into these microscopic structures that you've talked about. And so since they are also usually melanated and definitely have melanin in the cell body of the cilia, I thought that was interesting that it almost is... um, like an amplifier process that happens that with the melanin being literally in the cell of the cilia and then the cilia are conductors they're transmitting these sound waves that that also gives exceptional uh, qualities and capabilities to individuals uh, to allow them to be able to perceive information in the form of sound waves at a much more uh, delicate and much at a much higher frequency than than um, we really perceive and appreciate for ourselves, wouldn't you think? Yeah, and that's a this is a melanology, all right. <laughs> yes, that, it is. That means we can get metaphysical, right? Yes. All right, because the reality is those hair cells vibrate and they shake because of the vibrations outside. So the bones move, drums shake. The well, drums shake, the bones move, and they make the fluid shake. As the fluid shakes and moves, the hair cells move. As the hair cells move, they fire, like like neural impulses, like electricity. So people have won Nobel Prizes. People have done big-time research on studying just hair cells, right. on studying just the inner ear. I mean, it's a very complex organ. So if you look at the issue of vibrations and you look at what sound is, how sound is broken down, is in frequency and amplitude. So the frequency is the rate of hertz, cycles per second. Amplitude. Is, light, is that right? It's a part of the light spectrum, correct? You could say that, same thing. Yeah. So as it being a stimuli out there, again, I always break down in the books, in the melanin books, that, you know, everywhere you everywhere you find melanin, it's functioning to break down as an energy transformer things from the outside world so that the body can interpret it. So in the eye, you have in the back part of the eye, the retinal, the pigmented cell layer of the retina. It what is converting those light waves, those photons of energy into something we can understand. Same thing with the inner ear. It's breaking down these sound waves and the vibrations. So with the frequency, it's nothing but cycles per second. With amplitude, that's like the intensity or loudness of the sound. It's also absorbing, and that's another component of sound. Whereas the sound is vibrating, you think about just nature. They say at the center of nature is like 
264 cycles per second. The center of nature. When people uh, chant and use like one term like OM, O-M, mm-hmm. and you got massive people together saying like OM, just that vibration, just that vibration itself is like 256 cycles per second. That means you're moving to the center of nature. So when people are meditating, they're vibrating inside, and their bodies are responding to that. So if you think about the the inside of the ear receiving this vibration, and the melanin there to what absorbed that vibration, it enhances the quality of the experience. And then you look at the inside of the brain. The brain has cavities. Just like we said, this, this you know, cochlea has this cavernous, has openings. The brain has cavities, like the ventricle system. Mm-hmm. What what flows through the ventricle system? Cerebral spinal fluid. Right. So when people are humming and chanting, it causes a vibration in the brain, in those cavities. Fluid then is stimulated and flows. And you look at the pineal gland sitting there at the top of the head in the third ventricle, and it raises up as people are chanting and going through these vibrations and moving to a higher state of consciousness. So sound becomes very critical to helping people to uh, channel to a higher state. That's a lot of information, but the point is... Yeah, uh, I think that's great, though. I mean, uh, again, you know, we all have this fabulous laboratory and we all have the capacity to have the mind of a scientist. That's what you have, that's what I have, and so... That's why we know what we know about the body, and everybody's body needs the mind of a scientist, and that's what the Jewel Network is devoted to, making sure that that information comes to you easily, conveniently, and in a very, very delightful and entertaining method. You missed one, though. You missed one. In darkening. (laughs) Okay, I love it. Always in darkening, right. in darkening, in darkening. So, again, we may have new listeners that have tuned in somewhere around the world. So can you, again, just give us the definition of in darkening versus enlightening? Well, we know that in science, history, and a lot of uh, literature, we've learned nothing about African or black-oriented information. It's mostly been, in my opinion, you know, whitewashed or put it up from a white perspective. So from us sharing information on the Melanology Hour, sharing information that people have not heard before because from a different perspective, we're now darkening them on information that's not really new. It's been out there. It's a matter of being reinterpreting to awaken the consciousness. So the more we enlighten ourselves, sometimes we may be whitening our minds. So if we darken ourselves, we're moving towards and back to what we've already known. Okay, well, now that is the daytime scientist definition. And the nighttime scientist definition of being embarkened is the fact that the entire electromagnetic spectrum appears to the human eye to be the void or nothingness. That is, that when you look at all the light, Combined together, you see nothing. It looks black and bleak, the void. And why is that when all the light is right there in front of you, your very eyeball? 
the reason for that is because all the light is actually held and folded upon itself. Because when we are able to see light, whether it's white light, pink, yellow, green, orange, violet, that is the frequency of the electromagnetic spectrum that is not being held within itself. It's actually being released or projected outward. And that's what we see. So to be in darken means that now... All of the information, because all light carries information, all energy carries information, literally now is being folded in upon itself, or in our vernacular, it's now being possessed and focused upon you. So we're talking to you, for you, about you, which means now that all of this knowledge, the energy is being enfolded but activated inside of you. And so that is an endarkenment from the perspective of full, pure electromagnetic frequency and its awareness. Okay. So, yeah. So, I mean, and it's really exciting because that is why the melanin molecule, or should I say biopolymer, excuse me, is so powerful because I keep saying this to the top of my lungs, is that melanin and its more primitive pigments are light in its biological form. And when we say biological, we're talking about a self-sustaining, animated organism or substance. And melanin does self-sustained, it is animated upon its own self, it transmits and uh, retains energy and it also couples or it, it actually reproduces energy spontaneously on its own. So it is biological living light, which is amazing to me that, you know, when we think of light, we don't think of light in its biological living form, but it is. And we literally are living examples of biological living light because from the quantum physics perspective, everything is composed of light, everything. And and that's a, a big leap that, you know, we're going to help you make in understanding the foundation of that, which is melanin. So, Dr. Moore, I would like for you to also share with us an endarkenment of the cell membrane and especially the special attributes of the cell membrane of the melanocyte. Uh, I was reading uh, some information uh, on melanin, and this research had been done decades ago where they had seriously been looking at melanin as a, a drug carrier. I happen to be looking at just reactivity of melanin with particular drugs, et cetera, but I had never, ever thought about the fact that they were going to seriously consider using it for chemotherapeutic trance, uh, port of chemotherapeutic agents or other substances that may be toxic in other environments, but the melanin itself could take it into the environment that they uh, were targeting. 
and I thought it was very interesting that it appears as though the membrane surface of the melanocyte has some really interesting uh, bonding sites and receptacle sites for it seems to be many, many agents. And I know that you've done some work on that. Can you give us some light on that and about the, the cell membrane in general? Well, it sounds like it's exciting and it's also dangerous at the same time. <laughs> right. That's what I was thinking, yeah. yeah. So let me mention the dangerous part first, and then we'll break down the exciting piece about why it's uh, you know, a topic that you're presenting. Dangerous because there are ethnic biological weapons. And that means that people can then make chemicals and drugs that affect biological systems depending upon a person's melanin content. Uh, one drug, well, not even drug, something called Aspirillus fumogatus. It's like a some kind of fungus that has right, been, Aspirillus, yeah. Yeah, it's been used it's to tenacious. attack. Mm-hmm. What, what was that? It's very tenacious. It's very yeah. difficult to bring under control. Yeah, and it attacks melanated skin worse than it mm-hmm. does non-melanated skin. That's just one example of, guess what, things that have been done in chemical, biological warfare. This country where we live has a history of that. Not even just this country, all over the world, where people have dealt with uh, controlling nations, controlling people. That has been an issue. You would like to say where we, where we are before I go on with this? Uh, yeah, you go ahead right on. Okay. okay. Uh-huh. Well, it's an important thought here. Yeah, well, this this issue of the danger, I'm just saying, is that guess what? If we know that scientists can study people and their differences with the melanin content and create drugs like that, well, we also then know on the good end there's a possibility that it could be utilized in a positive manner. So with this issue of the membrane you just mentioned, uh, uh, you don't mind if I call you a fathead, do you? <laughs> no, <laughs> and, and I say that in a positive manner because our brains right. are sixty percent fat. And we talked about bonehead last uh, last sweat session. Right. So now we're talking about fathead because mm-hmm. our brains are primarily fat, and the membranes that we have, most of our membranes are lipid bilayer. Right. It has a fatty acid chain and a lipid, uh, a, a polar head and a fatty acid chain. Two of them. Right come together, make a membrane. So this this molecule or this, this membrane has molecules that assist some things to get in and some things not to get in. Well, fat-soluble molecules are sometimes uh, easier to deal with when people make drugs. So you have a whole industry out there, the medical, pharmaceutical, industrial complex. They need to find better ways to what deliver drugs and sometimes delivering it through uh, fat oriented molecules makes it easier to get in, especially if our brains are 60% fat. So in the brain, where you find melanin, it's functioning as a protective agent to absorb chemicals that need not be there. And if you look at those diseases, for example, uh, schizophrenia. Schizophrenia is a mood disorder. It's a situation where a person has too much of a chemical called dopamine. People don't know what the biological basis of why schizophrenia really develops. I mean, how it's triggered. Dr. Moore, can we come back to that right after this uh, station identification because you have entered into some rough waters. Okay. And so, therefore, we've got to to work through these waves. Okay. You are listening to the Melanology Show, hosted by 
the Jewel Network, Justified the Enchanted with Enlightened Living, via Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Jewel, and your co-host, Dr. T. Owens Moore, and we have just been talking about melanin and its activities and its presence as living biological light. Now, Dr. Moore, you made uh, <clears throat> the statement about schizophrenia, and you went on to give a definition about what it was as the daytime scientist. As the nighttime scientist, however, what I have come to observe is that we have many individuals who have not activated much of the uh, circuit of the brain known as the midbrain that would allow individuals to perceive new frequencies of reality in infrared visual light spectrum or ultraviolet blue and so the reality that most of us exist on and our vibrational rate in the electromagnetic spectrum of light keeps us in what is known as hertzian or the hertzian awareness now when you're able to activate these specific areas in the midbrain not only are you aware of the hertzian frequency of reality but also now you are able to perceive information and energy that is traveling in the infrared rate of photon movement activity, which is the infrared spectrum, or the ultraviolet blue spectrum, and between those two, the visual light, white light spectrum. So now, look at this, Dr. Moore. If these areas of your brain have not been developed, you are using primarily the uh, prefrontal cortex, a significant portion of the left hemisphere of the brain, and I come in to you and I tell you, Dr. Moore, I'm very concerned because for the last three weeks, every time I turn on the TV and I look at this particular show, I'm hearing voices that are saying things through the people on the TV but what they're saying is really not nice and it's directed toward me and my family. It's directed toward everybody else that would look at the show, but I'm hearing two different levels of reality when I look at the TV. Now, to you, of course, it's going to appear as though I have lost touch with reality, that I am having what's many times called ideations, you know, auditory illusions, et cetera. But now that we but now when does this individual ever get the opportunity to have an evaluation that will really evaluate what areas of the brain are really active and are literally transmitting information to the consciousness of this individual. As you know, we just came out with the spec scans of the brain where we can actually now just see the areas of the brain that are firing electromagnetic impulses without having to give an injection uh, that is quite toxic directly into the cerebral spinal fluid, et cetera. So none of that was made available, but we now know that if a person is seeing and can actually hear in infrared, many people are born like that now, that what is playing out on the Hertzian 
Hertzian level of awareness, those individuals can hear both conversations, both realities. So now is the individual who has not developed midbrain capability in the authoritative position accurately to make those kinds of diagnoses? And this has been one of my concerns in the mental health field because the mental health field does not require advanced activation and integration of brain activity. They allow these individuals, based on whatever amount of brain activity they have integrated, to make these diagnoses based on a puppet indoctrinated system of symptom symptomatology. And what happens is that these individuals who have actually elevated and more sensitive and advanced brain capabilities are sedated. Over time, the neurons are poisoned. They become neurotoxic. They become pharmaceutically uh, damaged from uh, chemical toxicity, from the phenothiazines and many of the other uh, neurodepressants. And they then lose the capacity to even uh, function in the Hertzian realm of reality when there was nothing wrong with them except they were misdiagnosed by a brain that was not completely developed. So I really ask you to speak to that because, you know, I'm, I'm very concerned when we start labeling people as to whether they are, you know, quote, crazy or not or if they're having ideations we need to really move to a group of specialized people who have these exceptional areas of the brain developed that can really evaluate and know if there is that kind of information in the Hertzian realm, in the infrared frequency of reality at present and either confirm or deny that what the individual is experiencing right now is not what they're aware of going on in infrared ultraviolet, blue, or visual light. What yes. say you? So I, I understand your concern for interjection at that moment, but I was leading to answer your question now. Oh, good. Well, let's, let's, let's hear that. Let's work on the wave. delivery yeah. and membrane. So I mentioned the mood disorder schizophrenia as an example. So now that you've thoroughly explained it from a perspective for the audience to know that we're not really just talking about people being odd in their thinking, but the fact that the brain is doing something. The right. point I'm trying to make is the places in the brain that are being disturbed are associated with melanin production. So when the people who have the schizophrenic-type thinking, the psychotic symptoms and the positive symptoms relating to hallucinations and delusions, comes from elevated amounts of dopamine. The places where it's coming from are melanated cells. When people are treated for schizophrenia, they're given neuroleptics or antipsychotics. You mentioned right. some already. Thorazine, Haldol, or euphenothiazine. These chemicals are attaching to these melanated areas and then causing the person to maybe have lessened hallucinations or delusions. So what we're saying is with the question you're asking about now scientists are using melanated 
potentially products to help drug delivery, it kind of makes sense if you look at the fact that people who have disorders such as schizophrenia or even Parkinson's disease, those drugs that are treating these these disorders that are dealing with melanated cells, those cells are absorbing those chemicals. So, hey, if that's the case, if we know that melanin absorbs, hey, well, why don't we now create some drug molecules that use melanin as a delivery system? So we just have the evidence within this ordered thinking where we can see it and how it is that scientists can now use that for what trying to present ordered thinking. And it has to do with that membrane, as you said, about how the structure of the membrane absorbs and takes in. And it's the whole science behind, again, drug delivery. And, you know, we got to deal with the whole issue of ions, that is, you know, charged particles that get in and out. Again, fat-soluble molecules, as I already said, our brains are 60% fat. So all those issues become related to how melanin functions. So as the molecule absorbs energy, you think about charged particles, which are like sodium, chloride, potassium, magnesium, calcium. These charged molecules are going to be what excited around a substance that already absorbs light, as you said. So it does become pretty dynamic. Right. <clears throat> well, I could inject some more on that because I'm quite concerned. I just think of the thousands of people who are, you know, walking around only knowing when they're hungry, having to urinate and defecate. Because other than that, <clears throat> they're on medication that totally has, you know, warped their capacity to process these light frequencies that we call reality. Right because they were now <clears throat> firing electro or should I say firing magnetic electrical impulses in the areas of the brain that are intentionally created to allow each and every one of us to access all of these other frequencies of the electromagnetic light spectrum. See what I uh and endeavoring to help individuals understand through the, the teachings of melanin on this show and with the assistance of, you know, great minds like yourself is that we have basically seven circuits of the brain and those circuits each correspond to one of the major frequencies or wavelengths of light in our known electromagnetic spectrum. So we have a part of the brain that allows us to access gamma rays, cosmic waves, x-rays, ultraviolet, visual light, infrared, and the Hertzian realm of energy of light. And wherever there's light, there's always information. So all of these levels of photon vibration that we call frequencies of light have tremendous amount of information available to us. We have areas of the brain that are genetically programmed to interact and process that vibration or frequency of light. And at the present, most of us have not been nurtured to allow those areas to become enlivened so that they can become enlightened and eventually endarkened with the information that we know for a fact is true, irregardless of 
where we may be in our present reality in our Hertzian body. So um, there's a lot of concerns, just like you said, about the more we find out about melanin, it is very important for us to be extremely flexible in recognizing that we may have misdiagnosed many disorders because maybe they weren't disorders at all. They could have been preliminary stages of the activation of some of these more high vibrational uh, neurons of the brain that were beginning to prepare themselves to come into full activation but without the information and knowledge and not at all being prepared for the symptoms that that preliminary activation can create, it is drugged down, too often cut out, burnt out, or removed, leaving the individual's avatar permanently damaged and maimed from ever knowing the information that is available at these what appears to be exceptional frequencies of reality. So check out the uh, also the reality of what's going on with our bodies as we just uh, live in the presence of life. We have sound and light around us. The light is important, and most people don't pay attention to what kind of light they get. Exactly. So the, the natural sunlight is key and critical, but a lot of people work under what fluorescent light, mm-hmm. not a good form of light. Uh, incandescent light may be a little bit better. But if you think about people who suffer from diseases like uh, seasonal affective disorder or winter depression, uh, they go through this seasonal change because the environment has changed. Well, it's not like just giving a drug that's going to fix that person, but the drug that they do give is extra light. So a person who has seasonal affective disorder that gets depressed during the winter months, they're given more light hours during the winter months, and they're given it in a certain you know, number. I think it's like 2,500 lux, L-U-X, the measurement for giving the, these people bursts of light to give them a better balance in their body. Sound then also becomes critical, the sounds that we are around. And you think about these, this younger generation listening to this, a lot of the hip-hop and the rap music being used and turned against us with the lower vibrations, then having impact on the mind and mental state. So sound and light become very key and critical to be really used as drugs to help our bodies uh function and again any imbalance that may be put in by bad light or bad sound can what alter thinking. Some people have epilepsy and there are some lights that can trigger epileptic seizures. You know, so we're just dealing with the whole reality of the outside world, you know, is like a drug within itself or just an agent that is that can influence behavior and many of us don't pay attention to it. Well, Doctor Moore it is time to let our listening audience know that they are listening to the Melanology Show, hosted to you by the Jewel Network via Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Jewel, and your co-host, Dr. T. Owens Moore and I have been sharing with you some very interesting concepts about melanin and its state of existence as a biological form of the electromagnetic spectrum. And as we have been discussing our perceptions of the electromagnetic spectrum, 
we've actually opened up a little bag of interesting concepts and, and uh, perhaps questions about how much do we really know about the many disorders that we have relative to the level of understanding and overstanding we have about electrom- the electromagnetic spectrum and how our avatar is created to interact with it. Uh, relative to uh, the electromagnetic spectrum. And what you've been talking about so far, Dr. Moore, is just in the very small uh, frequencies of the visual light spectrum, which is 400 to 700 nanometers. And uh, we're still having lots of problems really being able to interact and understand that because the gentleman, Dr., um, well, I don't know if he's a doctor, the banker, John Ott, who uh, got into the understanding and the studying of light because he uh, very much liked his time-lapse photography, recognized he had to learn about light, a relationship to plants, so that he could get the pumpkin to bloom to uh the bloom, the, the the pumpkin vine, the bloom, and then to yield a pumpkin that he could photograph in time lapse photography, so that he could uh, accommodate his a contract with Disney uh, Productions for Cinderella. And in the process of getting that corrected and being able to photograph a pumpkin over time and how the pumpkin grows, uh, he went into other projects and found out that if the frequency of light that the organism was exposed to was pathologic, that he was not able to capture normal growth patterns of health and development. And one of the most interesting things and most important things that he found, and I think this is very important for everyone worldwide to recognize, is the fact that he did a short experiment in one of the public school systems in the United States. And he was just curious to find out if melanin and melanated individuals and even the sex definition of melanated individuals affected the interaction with particular frequencies of light. So it had been noted that uh, melanated young males between the ages of 8 and 10 at this particular school seemed to have a problem being able to adjust to the class. Either they were tussling or, uh, you know, poking each other all day long, et cetera, and they just could not sit in the classroom and pay attention. And this was only in melanated males. So it was decided that they should change the spectrum of fluorescent lighting to literally a cool blue as to this kind of pink fluorescent light that they have on the market. And when they changed that out, some of the behavior uh, ceased. But when they actually put in full-spectrum light, all the children remained in their seats throughout the entire school day. The disciplinary problems in the males totally disappeared, and there was never any problem anymore with the children not being able to follow directions on how they were to carry 
their bodies and to uh, avail themselves in the classroom. So uh, that also was part of the promotion that caused Mr. Ott to invest in producing full-spectrum fluorescent light bulbs as well as candescent light bulbs because he saw the effect. Now, there wasn't much written on in his part about why specifically did the um, cool blue and full-spectrum lighting appear to be much more wholesome on the nervous system of melanated males than this uh, pink fluorescent frequency that was so commonly used in the public school system. Now, I think it's also interesting that I see in many of the inner cities that in locations where there are melanin-dominant individuals, large populations, they still have that uh, pink fluorescent type of uh, light bulb on the corners at uh, intersections, et cetera. So um, it's very important for all of us melanated if you're melanin-recessive or melanin-dominant, because even melanin-recessive individuals are still melanin-dominant individuals within their body. To the extent that they are alive, to the extent that the organ systems are functioning, they do so because you have ample melanin to be able to continue the electron exchange that has to happen for normal metabolism and for normal metabolic uh, functions to occur in the cell to perpetuate life. I, I find that just very amazing and still in all that kind of information is not made known to the public school system and these kind of, of um, aberrant uh, light sources are not removed from the classroom. You know what? Because it might be purposely implanted. You know, they haven't been to jails, but I don't know what kind of light they lose in jails. But, again, on massive levels of controlling people, it's easy to look at how it would be ignored. Because, you know, our school systems aren't really necessarily ready to educate. They're really miseducating a lot of people. It's just a factory to house kids, not to really educate them on what they need to know to be so, you know, to do the right things in this, this environment we're living in. So you see how maybe light can be used against us and how there would not be a desire to want to make a change in people thinking positive, positively. Get this whole prison industrial complex. You know, you want to create you want to create recidivism. Recidivism so people can keep coming back because people making money off of people being bad, you know. You're not gonna make money off people doing the right things and living in the light, you know. I asked you last last session about the blue lights in the basement. I don't know when you've been to the last not even the blue lights in the basement house <laughs> But I mean if people Talk about positive moves under certain conditions. Well, now, why don't we always create these positive moves? Because the system isn't really deterring us from moving towards these types of uh, experiences. Well, you know, Dr. Moore, as an indarkened, enlightened being, what I finally recognize that as we are, as everything else, light and obviously an integral part of the full electromagnetic spectrum of light that is responsible for all life as we know it in this dimension, I pondered 
why there would be factions of individuals who are light beings composed of light just like I that would want to not see and support the full enlightenment, full endarkenment of all other beings who are made out of the same substance as themselves. And I thought about it, and again, I go back to the same premise, that there has to be a limitation or distortion in the amount of brain tissue that these individuals are using that persistently inhibit them from perceiving the direct relationship that they have with the electromagnetic spectrum that is universal for everyone else and that to manipulate or to tamper with light in its form that obviously affects everyone else directly will affect them. And that is just so amazing that... I'd like to stop you like you stop me sometimes. Yeah, they can't see this. It's amazing. I think <laughs> yes, go ahead, doctor. You mentioned this concept, distortion of yeah. tissue. I want you to elaborate on that because what you're talking about is people who we think are normal actually have a distortion of tissue. Right. Exactly. They have a distortion of tissue. The distortion that the Jewel Network has devoted a whole show to, and that is, The balancing program is devoted to individuals who have limited access to the amount of brain tissue that they have available. That is a distortion, okay? And we have never, ever accepted that. We say, okay, we only got 5% brain. We only use 5% of our brain cells. You have, you know, 80, some people say 100 trillion neurons, and you're only using 5% of those? other people, 10% of those, and yet and still they are allowed to walk around into the civilization and make decisions and to actually gather raw materials and form them in such a way that they are selling their products or they are influencing cities and countries with their products. And obviously there is a problem with the product because it was only made from 10% awareness of what they were manifesting. I mean, and we have this situation right now in front of us with the oil spill on the southern coast of the of North America, United States. Did you did you help James Cameron produce Avatar? Because <laughs> remember in there the sister was saying when she didn't want to deal yes. with that guy skull and she's like, I don't know if your insanity can be cured. That's why <laughs> well she went. I Yeah, because she recognized that, you know, how can we get you to develop this brain to such an extent that you can control your body and recognize that your body is everybody else's body. This was the big thing that she was, you know, she took him to the Iwa tree. And she was like, you know, this tree is alive and, you know, all of our ancestors are here. You know, you can hear them, that kind of thing. So at the very end of the movie, those neurons kicked in. Those neurons kicked in, and he could really hear them. He was like, wow. She was, like, really right. But before, what she was talking about was just, you know, sheer nonsense. So this is the 
the, the key that I'm saying. We have to submit to the fact that we must progress very astutely and very um, gingerly in our interaction with our environment and with each other with the highest intent because there is so much that we don't know and so much of ourselves we have yet to discover. So to make all of these assumptions and we can do it this way and that doesn't matter and whatever happens to those people over there, it is not going to affect me, is totally someone who does not understand quantum physics. They do not understand the electromagnetic spectrum or actually biologically how life is connected to everything else. There's no way that, you know, Great Britain is not going to be affected by this oil spill over here in the U.K. That's what they've talked about. Now the hurricane is coming up, and that stuff is going to be whirled out into the ocean, and the current, the Gulf Stream, takes it right over there. And they've been going to yacht uh, parties and having big fun and haven't thought that it was really important at all. So with that said, before we go further, this is the Melanology Show. I'm your host, Dr. Jewel, and your co-host, Dr. Tionz Moore. We're so glad that you joined us, and you're being hosted by the Jewel Network, Justifiably Enchanted with Enlightened Living on Blog Talk Radio. So to to, uh, get back to... This uh, phenomenon here, I still want us to say something before it's time to go. We only have really time now for questions. Uh, Our engineer can let us know in just a few moments if we've got uh, questions on the phone. But, Dr. Moore, tell us more about that membrane, okay, that membrane on the melanocyte. Can you just give us a little information about it? Well, I wouldn't be able to say it that is the membrane being any different than any other cell. If anything, I talk about the structure of the cell itself and its importance. Because if you look at the cell and how it exists in a body, it looks like a little neuron that is deep in our skin. So on the outside of our skin, we have a covering called epithelial cells that protect our skin from outside you know, influences, so the water doesn't just seep into our skin. It's like a little bit porous, but it protects us. Those are epithelial cells. You can stare at your skin and see little triangular-shaped cells together. But deep within the melanocyte, the cell that makes the melanin, looks like a neuron, meaning that it has long dendritic processes that extend up towards the skin. In those long arms are the actual pieces of melanin that give you the even skin tone. So when you darken... And tan, the arms raise up and those melanated granules are going to the tips of the arms to give you your skin, your, your, you know, even complexion and pigment that you have. So just the structure of it as, as, a, as a molecule is intense. So I wouldn't be able to comment, you know, I guess give any additional information on the membrane of the melanocyte, but the structure of itself, it's very, very key to how it's structured in the body to lay, to like look at the sun as a cell and bathe me and make me black. Well, you know that uh, all melanocytes originate from the neural crest embryologically, which is where the nervous system is generated from. So it's 
origin, the origin of the melanocyte is actually from the nerve tissue. So, of course, you know, it would have all the qualities of a nerve. I would say that all individuals are uh, born with an exobrain. You know, they've got melanocytes in the skin, and all of us do. They're born with an uh, external brain. Now, how much information the external brain can perceive and then conduct deep into the body and then to the the brain is dependent upon the melanin in the melanocyte because that potentiates the conductivity of the information. So individuals who are melanin recessive, Obviously, the amount of information that can be conducted directly from the skin to deepen the body and then into the nervous system is limited because of the limitation of that uh, conductive vehicle. And while you waited to the end of the program, when I have to go to mention this most important topic about origin, the embryological okay. origin, talking about the neural tube being melanated, the neural crest being melanated. So the neural tube produces what? Your brain and spinal cord. If melanin is not functioning there early on developmentally, you know what happens? The organism or the fetus develops spinal bifida. Problems with its nervous system. Dysfunction. Neural crest, that's where your melanocytes are coming from. So early on, the distribution of some of the melanocytes connected to some of the organs that are then together when they're first birthed. That's why I have in my book, Biology of Blackness. You know, like the original Big Bang <laughs> created there embryologically, and all those cells blasted off and just went to different parts of the body. But they all came from the same place. That's how the universe is developing. Well, Doc, before you go, I just want to know if you agree with this statement, because I'm going to take it a little further for you to pick up with next week. But do you agree that everything originates from a state of consciousness? Everything originates from a state of consciousness. Yeah, it has to be a thought first before it can actually manifest. Yes, I do. And the Kabbalion, uh, which we we learned from Tahuti or Thoth, talks about the seven principles of life, and the first one is what? The all, the mind. Right. So yeah, that started everything. I'm in total agreement with you on that. Okay. Well, Doc, we're going to... Do you have any questions for IT Park? Yeah, we're going to pick up on that concept. Uh, our dear engineer, do we have questions? Anybody's hands are up? I don't see anyone's hands up. We have plenty of people listening, but no one has raised any questions um, on the switchboard or in the chat room at this time. Well, again, right. that, that contribution. Oh, well, now we have questions as soon as I said no. <laughs> okay. We do have someone. Uh-huh. Okay. Hello? Eric. Oh, hi, you're on the air. Hello, uh, Dr. Jewell and uh, Dr. Owens and Sister Rashidra. Uh, my question is uh, about something that Dr. Owens commented on uh, a couple of weeks ago about uh, uh, Osiris being the color of uh, olive tone. And I was just wondering uh, what Dr. Jewell's nighttime scientist mind would take, take on that. As far as like is that is that our color that we're supposed to be or 
Okay. Well, Dr. Moore, you, you can answer first. Okay. Well, he said I threw it out there, so I'll throw it out there again. So if you look at older pictures of Osiris on papyri, you said you've been to Kemet, you see it on the temples, painted green. So originally people were saying that, you know, well, perhaps that's what we are. We're like green individuals, like chlorophyll, like plants, like alive things. So as we became oxidized, our greenness became melanized and darkened and rusted, and so therefore you see our appearance today looking darker. But we used to be, you know, closer to the uh, elements of of life that contain, you know, chlorophyll. Okay, and my uh, comments on that question is the fact that yes, the uh, copper content in our body was much much higher then, and also obviously we photosynthesized, okay? Osiris and all of the variants who were green relied on the sun, Ra, for their nutrients and their nourishment. And that capacity to photosynthesize has not been lost. It it has not been lost. Now, there's one observation that has been made and offered that the uh, photosynthetic capabilities with the necessity to have higher amounts of copper was altered when individuals started actually taking too much iron into the body. And when uh, iron oxidizes, as you know, it turns dark brown and eventually black. So Mm -hmm. it has been uh, offered that the oxidation of this excess amount of iron is what had inhibited the natural capabilities for us to photosynthesize, which then drove us into having to subsidize the body with energy in other life forms to keep us alive because our uh, photosynthetic uh, index went down and the amount of of uh, oxygen, water, and sugar molecules made from our capacity to photosynthesize with reduced iron was quite low and it was not enough to run a healthy avatar. So we had to start becoming a predator, literally, and eating other things. So this is why I talk about the fact that, you know, it's very important to heed that uh, caution, that warning, judge ye not, because, you know, whether you're a vegetarian or whether you are uh, an omnivore or carnivorous, mm-hmm. a carnivore, it doesn't matter, you're still predating another organism to sustain yourself because you, in consciousness, have fallen away from being able to interact and absorb the electromagnetic spectrum. So what is being offered now, since we have finally awakened to this capability within ourselves again, is that we can consciously begin to retro-engineer the dormant genes that are responsible for this capacity to photosynthesize directly from the sun and begin to rebuild the capacity of the tissues to do this. 
this is why this age that we're in is so incredible. It's not perilous, you know, per se. It's not, you know, intimidating and frightening. It is the capacity to know that, hey, those things that have always worked and don't appear to work now, we can basically activate that again and move forward because we've come full circle. We can see the past clearly, and now we know what to take to our future because the future is not only just mastering this one planet, but obviously all the planets in our solar system, all the planets in our galaxy, and then into the universe. So can you imagine what your life would be like if you did not have to take the time to prepare meals and do all these different things, et cetera, that just from the sun that your cells could make the oxygen you needed, the water you needed, the amino acids? I thought that was so interesting when I really looked at what the photosynthetic capacities of a plant can do. And I thought it was so interesting. We haven't moved far from that. Our tissues truly know that we are supposed to photosynthesize. Now, why did I make that statement? Well, look at the gym shoes. Now, this may be a real big leap for everyone worldwide, but I want you to take it with me. Look at the structure of the gym shoe on your foot for most of you. They have these special little cushions in the heels that are exactly the same architectural structure of the thelakoids that make oxygen, water, and sugar in the photosynthetic process. If you took a chloroplast and cut it open, the thelakoids that are in that chloroplast are the exact anatomical structures of those rubber those cushions, those little pillared-like cushions in your gym shoe. Now, someone thought that they were being very creative and created this new structure of shoe that was able to take the pressure and return it and distribute it equally across the heel and across the foot, et cetera, as you walked. And they did a great thing for that. But they did not recognize that what they were really dealing with is the core spectrum light and actually in a biological system can turn it into oxygen, water, and a sugar that can continuously fuel your body. And people are walking on it. So now, what is the metaphor here? And here's another nighttime scientist connect-the-dots concept that it's on your foot, and we know for what? That the foot always represents your understanding. How you place your foot on the earth, how you place your foot on anything, is going to determine everything else about the position of your body, how you're going to see things, hear things, etc. And that architectural design was put at the bottom of your foot for you to stand on, for you to get an understanding upon. Therefore, again, you're being asked to sit or consider how
how can we do what? Become green. Isn't that amazing? Hmm. How can we actually begin to control our what? Carbon footprint. Mm-mm-mm. You are so brilliant. You got me looking at my feet right now. <laughs> do you think? I mean, do you think all oh, this is just coincidental? You have to understand how organized this universe is. Okay, let me throw two things out. And brother, are you still listening? You still with us? Yes, yes, I'm still here. So, what I was looking at before you mentioned the foot is the issue of gorillas, chimpanzees, animals that are. You know, they're in Africa that are eating off the land like vegetables. I've never really seen a gray-haired gorilla. They live long, though. But they live off the land, don't really eat. Well, eat. They have a, I've seen one, they call them a white something, but I've seen... Yeah, that's albino. I'm talking about the right. one that's aged. Oh, no, no, no. No, they don't do that. Yeah. So don't just, do just walk with me here now. You, you had us in the gym shoes. Jump with me, too, now. <laughs> so you don't really see an aged gorilla... You see, I've seen chimpanzees like with gray hair around like the chin area, but you don't usually see those animals that are like uh, closest to the human experience. Dark, I mean, get gray and change like our DNA changes from again, as you said, poor diet. As I'm now sitting here looking at and think about those animals that are out there in the open, not wearing clothes, they're out there in the nature, and looking at the bottom of the foot, why is it light and bright and not dark? Because as you are barefooted on the earth, you're connected to the electromagnetism of the earth. Right. You're taking in the mm-hmm. energy. But we're right. wearing footwear and we're not touching the earth and our feet are light in color there to ensure the absorption. So there's no like dark color on the bottom foot to prevent anything going in. Right. So people have done studies on that whole reality of people feeling much better when they're touching the earth with their bare feet and in mm-hmm. tune with with nature, that's key. Mm-hmm. And and that's what I'm saying. I think that it's just really from a, a nighttime observation that, you know, green is being pushed in our face again, green footprint, okay, right. that you're walking mm-hmm. on chloroplast in your gym shoes, mm-hmm. the thylakoid. The th- in your gym shoes, that, again, photosynthesizes and that, you know, the food chain is now becoming poisoned and people must begin to think about how can we begin to turn on that capacity to photosynthesize again. And, you know, we're going to take this up next week. You know, I've been waiting before I went into this discussion. It's very, very important. Everyone in the world... It's very, very important to understand, and that's why I asked the question, Doctor, before you departed from us, do you believe that everything is mind first before it is matter? Everything originates from consciousness because the amount of melanin that your avatar has is a reflection of the state of consciousness that you as a mind programmed your DNA to exhibit. As I've said in my my other teachings here, we know for a fact that whether you are suffering from albinism or whether you are navy blue black, you have the same amount of melanocytes. So why does a person born stark white still have the same number of melanocytes as a Massai that is at 
at the equator who is negatively black. Same amount of melanocyte. The melanocyte is there. So why is the melanocyte not full of melanin? And, of course, we know that there's a particular gene on chromosome number 11, loci number 6, the, the TYR gene that does not make tyrosinase. But the reason why it doesn't make tyrosinase is due to a state of consciousness. And just like we turn genes on with states of consciousness, we can turn them off with states of consciousness. And so, therefore, the whole resurrection that's being asked of us as this planet is resurrecting and realigning itself is really to ask ourselves, why do we have the attitudes and the states of consciousness we have that are interfering with our avatar being able to be the best that it can be. This is very, very important because people who are navy blue black, if they're not trained, and when I say trained, I want to say more so educated, truly educated. Education, by my definition, is where that that is within you, those potentials are brought out and nurtured to their full development. So, if you have this potential, you're a navy blue black, and then you're walking around here and you have no idea of melanin, you don't understand the properties of what this pigment does in your skin, etc., you're really no different than the person who's amelanated. No difference at all. Because the capacity of what that's going to give to you is very limited relative to what is being asked of you and what you could do. So if it's going to innately allow you to be able to live to be 100 years old and, you know, to not have many wrinkles and to be able to tolerate the sun, well, relative to what it can do, that on that scale is near absolutely nothing as opposed to an individual who is amelanated but yet and still is able to live 80 or 90 years like yourself but is able to totally redesign an entire country so that everyone can benefit to a greater degree than what was present before their birth. So for the individual who doesn't have very much melanin, that is a huge feat to be able to do. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you sharing your knowledge your brilliant mind with the people to help us think about things. We really see everything around us. Here in the uh, United States, it's summertime. Other parts of the world, it may not be. We just went through an intense spring and now it's early summer, but there are leaves already turning yellow. Right, exactly. And those leaves are becoming weakened because they no longer lack the pigment in it for it to stay strong and fertile. So but they more so out. they lack the individuals who are there Looking at them, they lack the support from the individuals looking at them that have not changed their ways, which means to change their consciousness so that they can, again, imbue those plants with what they need so that they can continue to get 